Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. God, we want to thank you for the opportunity just to be here together. Lord, we pray for those who are missing, who are sick, who are still traveling. We ask, Lord, that you would be with them wherever they are. We lift up other churches that are in this area, churches around the world who are coming together to worship Jesus collectively. We pray for all of the messages, Lord, that are Bible-based. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to tell us here. And Lord, may it not just be words, may it actually be applied to our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. You can be seated. You can do better than that. Good morning. Awesome. My name is Kevin. I am the lead pastor of Church at the Well in East Boston, and I'm excited that you're here. Um, so this is going to be a little bit different for the next few weeks. I don't typically do like topical series, but every once in a while we do one. And at the beginning of every year, COVID really threw a wrench in things. I try to do something that's more uh, focused on kind of vision or getting us back on track. And so the next three weeks, we're going to be going over a little bit of who the church is, what Church at the Well does, and why we do what we do. And so if you're new to Church at the Well, this is going to be awesome uh, because you're going to get to hear some of our story. You're going to get to hear um, who we are, what makes us tick, what our goals are, that kind of thing, and what you're potentially going to be a part of. For those of you who have been coming to Church at the Well for a while, like me, um, It's nice to be reminded of what we're actually here to do. Because in the mix of everything that goes on, oftentimes just the goals, the vision, all of these things can become cluttered. And what ends up happening over time in every organization, it doesn't matter if it's a church or a business, you end up taking all of this other stuff on and sometimes what the main thing is that's supposed to be kind of gets distracted from, right? And so we're going to kind of bring us back to that main thing. So we've called this series Building Well. Um, You see what we did there? All right, so Church at the Well. Church at the Well um, began as a vision while I was pastoring in California. We were studying John chapter 4, which we're going to go over next week. My daughter Lacey has heard that so many times that she's like, can I do that one next week? No, you can't. But... um, The idea of Church at the Well, I mean, if you think of the name, we're actually called church. The name of our church is actually called church. We meet at the well, right? So we meet inside of a coffee house, and there's reasons for that. Um, Today, though, what I want to do is kind of talk about, like, big picture. So each week, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of narrow it to become more specific to who Church at the Well is and what we do. Today, we're going to talk about mission, um, to make things simple. I think that the church as a whole, right, the Bible-believing, gospel-teaching, Jesus-glorifying church all have the same mission. We didn't develop the mission. We didn't um, enhance the mission. The mission was given to us by our Savior and when he said, this is what you're to do, right? So, If we process through all of that, it means that whatever church you go to, as long as it's gospel-believing, Jesus-honoring, biblical church, it should look the same to some capacity, meaning the mission is the same for Jesus' church. And that mission comes from what Jesus actually asks us to do. How each church fulfills that mission the, the nature and the buildup of every local body can look a little bit different. We'll talk about that when we talk about vision. But for us in kind of simple terms, we have to see mission as we are a part of a grander kind of picture, a grander job that is worldwide that Jesus has commissioned his people to do all around the world. And so what I want to look at today is what does that mean? Right? And so, obviously, if you've grown up in church world at all, or you've ever been to church, you've probably read this passage before. Probably next to John 3.16, this is one of the most known passages. You, you could probably quote it to me, even if you haven't been to church much. Um, we know, and you've probably heard a lot of messages that are kind of geared around this. I grew up in church world that we had missions conferences. And so every year during a missions conference, we knew that this passage was going to be coming. I'm going to break this down, and then we're going to get specific for Church at the Well. 
So first of all, mission, I looked this up in the dictionary. It said that a mission is a specific task with which a person or group has been charged. Simple. Um, you can think of mission used a lot in uh, the Blues Brothers. I'm on a mission from God where they had um, this specific thing that they were attempting to accomplish. Sometimes like we have movies like Mission Impossible where they're given something that is theoretically impossible to do, but it's a mission. There's a goal. There's an end result. We know that this is what's supposed to get accomplished, and we have kind of processes and evaluation to see did that actually come to fruition? Did we accomplish the mission? We as a group of people are on mission. If you know Jesus, technically you're on mission. It doesn't mean that you're fulfilling the mission. It doesn't mean that you're even enjoying the mission. It doesn't mean you're successfully doing the mission, but technically you're on mission. So where does our mission come from? Well, Jesus came. He lived this life that was an example for us. He taught a lot. He did a lot of crazy stuff, right? He spent time with a a tight-knit group of friends. We call them the disciples or the apostles or whatever your tradition wants to call them. And he built into them. And then we know that he went to the cross and he died for our sins. And then three days later, he rose, conquering sin, Satan, and death forever. And he offers us the gift of eternal life, new life in him, through faith in what he did, right? And when we pick up at this point in the passage, this has been accomplished. Jesus has come back from the dead. He has spent some very awkward moments with his disciples. He said some really interesting things. He's had some conversations that I hope one day when we are with him face to face that we get to hear. There's a a moment where he's walking with these two guys that, that we don't even necessarily know much about them after he's raised, and it says that he explains everything about him from the Old Testament to them, and I'm like, why didn't you write that down? Right? There's a lot of, he has, he's a caterer at times, he cooks breakfast, he, he restores Peter back to where he's supposed to be. There's a lot of things that are transpiring. And then we get to this moment where it says that he's going to gather on a mountain and he's going to provide a commission. And it begins this way. Now the 11 disciples, we know it's 11 because we've lost one. At this point, Judas Iscariot has committed suicide. We know that. Um, in a pretty nasty way. If you read the book of Acts, you know that it wasn't a a pleasant suicide. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. In the midst, if you can kind of picture the movie version, Jesus takes these believers to this mountaintop, and it says that there's more than just the eleven. There's, I mean, I don't know how many are there, but I'm picturing that paparazzi are everywhere if somebody comes back from the dead people are going to be following the individual right i don't know if you remember the movie forrest gump where forrest begins to run and the longer he runs the more people are collectively running with him i can kind of picture that i don't know if jesus is running but He's basically, you know, he's come back from the dead. He's been teaching. People are astonished by what's going on. People are trying to figure out how is it possible we saw him die. Did he really die? There's a lot of questions. It says here that some doubted. In the midst of all of these individuals, he's going to commission his church. There's people there who believe who he is and what he's done. There's people there who are worshiping him. We'll talk about what that means. And there's people there who are doubting. Um, Not unlike any group of individuals that would come together in a church. And in the midst of that, Jesus is going to commission his church. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Okay, when I grew up as a kid, I think that my misunderstanding of the commission was I believed that the most important word was go. And it's not, it is important. But a better translation for this from the original language would be as you are going. But the way that I 
understood it as a kid, it was like, go. So we would have these missions conferences, and it was people that, that, that entered the mission field all over the world, and they were coming back to tell us what it looked like when they went, right? And I was like, oh, these are the ones that have actually go, right? Like, like these are the people that are doing what is supposed to be doing because they're the ones that go. And so there was this kind of thing growing up where I was like, really, if I want to be a good Christian, it's more about just go. Well, okay, well then, where am I supposed to go? And back then, when I was a kid, it was, you're going to go to Africa. And I don't know why it was Africa, but that's where everybody was going, right? And if you didn't go to Africa, you weren't a good Christian. If you didn't have a desire to go to Africa, you weren't a good Christian because you have to go. And there was this thing ingrained in me where it was like, but I don't want to go. Like, even as I got older, I remember, like, making what felt like a radical decision to say, I know that there's people who don't know Jesus and have never heard about Jesus all over the world, and I th- they have to hear. Like, somebody has to go. But my heart broke for my neighbor who didn't know Jesus. And I thought, well, if everybody goes, then basically everybody's just swapping spots, right? Like, okay, so that area of the world's sending people to the U.S., and the U.S. is sending people to that area of the world, and I'm like, now you got to go in and learn a culture and a new language and figure it out. How does this work? And my whole life, I just kept thinking, man, okay, mission means you have to go somewhere. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I told you the better translation is this. While you are going, make disciples. The operative and the most important component of the Great Commission is not necessarily go. I mean, you have to go. But while you are going, wherever you find yourself, whatever you're doing as a Christ follower, whatever location you are in, your job is to what? Make disciples. Your job is to convert people to Jesus. No. Your job is to... Um, Help them say a prayer. No. That can all be part of it, I guess. But the ultimate end of the mission is what? To make disciples. Jesus came and he made disciples. Now when I figured this out and I began to kind of make this switch in my head, it's almost, it's weird because I felt like, man, Lord, I, I feel like you've called me to my neighbors, to the U.S., to, to be on mission here. And once the guilt of that went away because everything in me was you're supposed to go somewhere else, once that finally went and I realized, okay, so the job is to make disciples, then it became an overemphasis on the making disciples to where I felt like, okay, it's my job as a called missionary to make sure that disciples are being made everywhere that we're going. And there was this push. It's like, man, okay, you need to become a disciple. What does that look like? And we began, I, I remember growing up in, in another church kind of context where it was like, okay, we're going to make disciples of you. So here's what you need to do. You need to go through this class, 101. And then you're going to go through 102. And then you're going to go through 201. And by the time you get done with all of these classes, we're going to give you a certificate that says, you're a disciple. And I was like, oh, That's how this works. So what my job is then is to figure out what process or classes or studies do I need to put in place that are going to dictate everybody goes through to become a disciple. And then I was watching the process happen. And I was like, it doesn't feel like the people that are going through these classes are coming out the other end different. It feels like they know a little bit more about Jesus. That's good. It feels like they might have some more biblical knowledge. That's good. But what I'm seeing them practice in their life isn't any different than when they started the process. So why are they a disciple then and not before? And this began 
to kind of churn in me. It begs the question, if the ultimate end of the church is to make disciples, then we better know what a disciple is and how to make one. Part of discipleship is given in this passage. It says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, I've been asked a lot, like, is baptism important? Yes, it's extremely important. There's a whole lot of reasons that it's important. It's, it's your first act of obedience. Jesus was baptized. We want to follow Jesus. It's a public profession of your faith. If you're not willing to publicly profess a changed life in Christ... Then Jesus says, well, then I'll deny you as well, right? There's a bunch of symbolism in it that helps us understand the choices that we're making in following Christ. We go under the water identifying with Jesus' death. We come out of the water identifying with his resurrection. It is an important process to people's discipleship, but it's not the only one. It says then part of our job is to teach them. Teach them what? To observe all that Jesus commanded. What does that mean? It means that if disciples are going to be made in a church and the discipleship comes from partly understanding what Jesus taught and helping them understand that as well, then it means that we have to know what it is that Jesus taught and we have to know it well enough to be able to pass it on. But it's not just like, if you look at Jesus' teaching method, it wasn't just, hey, all right, at 10.30 we're going to have our next lecture and bring your notebooks. What did he do? He said, follow me. Watch what I'm doing. Observe. Most of his teaching, I mean, he's the greatest teacher on the planet, but so much of what we get from Jesus is watching how he behaved around other people. How he responded. What he did, right? How he loved. How he got angry. That's what he was passing on to his disciples, right? It was Look, I'm not, I didn't just come to lecture. I didn't just come to tell you what to do. I came in so that you could see it. I came to display it to you. I, I've always found it interesting that, and, and as a pastor, it's one of the most difficult things to process is you're supposed to make disciples. Well, Jesus made 11. Right? And I think, how is it that I could possibly do better than Jesus? Like, he focused three years of his life on a small group of people, right? And really, if you study Jesus' life, it was really three that he poured into the most. He said, look, you're going to watch me. I'm going to tell you why I'm doing what I'm doing. You're going to see it. And as he commissions these 11 as you are going i want you to go and do what i've shown you to do go make disciples baptize them as i was baptized teach them what i taught you show them what it looks like teach them in how you behave let them see it let's work it out it's it's not just a classroom environment like show them what it looks like and then as you show people, and as they become better disciples, then you're commissioning them and you're encouraging them to do the same. Meaning, every Christ follower has the responsibility to, to do two things, to, to become a disciple of Jesus and then to help others become a disciple of Jesus. And what's so crazy about this process is like, you ask me straight up, Kevin, are you a disciple of Christ? I would say yes. And we'll define a disciple here in a moment. Are you a completed disciple of Jesus? Absolutely not. I'm still learning as I'm going. How do I learn? Because I make a lot of mistakes. There's moments when it's like, okay, I'm in a situation and 
this is how Jesus would handle it, but I don't want to handle it that way. So I'm going to handle it the way that I want to handle it. And then over time, what happens? I should have done it that way, right? I mean, think of it as like parenting. So then you go to your kids and you're like, I'm just telling you, I did this. It didn't work. So I'm trying to pass on this knowledge so that you don't do the same thing. But what do they do? The same thing. Why? Because that's how we all function, right? We, we learn as we make mistakes and, and we grow and we go, okay, well, how would I apply Jesus to this situation differently? And then we attempt to, to pass that on. So it's really interesting. Jesus made disciples and he was perfect, Our commission is to make disciples when we're still in the process of becoming a better disciple, hopefully. Which means part of our disciple-making is making mistakes. Teaching others what mistakes look like. Isn't it interesting that, I mean, Jesus never made a mistake. He was just perfect. So everything that he did was perfect. So they looked at it and went, that's what we're to do. And then they tried to do it and went, it didn't work out that way. So how do we do this? We're, we're flawed individuals, sin-cursed beings, living in a sin-cursed world. By the grace of God, we have the ability to display the glory of Jesus at times. We make mistakes, but as we're continuing to develop and become better disciples of Jesus, even though we don't have all of the answers, we're still supposed to dive into the process to say, I'm supposed to be becoming a disciple and discipling others to become disciples. Right? And it says that we're supposed to do that everywhere. And he says, so teaching them to observe what I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Why does he say that? Because we're not alone in doing it. This task is overwhelming. It's an overwhelming thought that Jesus would come and do something like make disciples, and he's perfect, and then says, okay, now go do what I did. And we go, well, that's hard. So what do we do? The mission is clear. The mission is make disciples. The mission is as you are going, wherever you find yourself, wherever you're at. So this could be when you're on vacation, right? When you're traveling for holidays, when you're at home, when you're at work, when you're at play, when you're playing a sport, while you are going, as your life is moving forward, we are always on mission. What does that mean for the church? It means that we're always being watched. It means that we're always attempting with everything in us to display how Jesus might behave in any given circumstance. And if that doesn't scare you, there's something wrong because it scares me to death, right? So I was an athlete growing up. I know how I behaved on the field at times. And I promise you, I wasn't making disciples, right? What does it look like for a Christ follower to be competitive on the athletic field? What does it look like for a hockey player to say, I am going to hit you so hard against that wall in the name of Jesus, Is it possible? It must be. Right? As you are going, you display Jesus in everything. It's, this is the commission. This is the mission. Which means that since this is the universal mission of the church, every, once again, Bible-believing, because I don't believe every church is Bible-believing, don't believe every church teaches Jesus, some churches are leading people astray, they're out of the scriptures, whatever, right? Every Bible-believing, Jesus-honoring church, their job is while they are going to make disciples. Now, if I were just to stop right here and go, okay, we're done, then my question would be for you, who's discipling you and who are you discipling? Right? And if a name didn't come, we have a problem. Who's discipling you? What does that mean? Who have you put yourself under 
in a close relationship to say, disciple me. Like, build into my life. Help me understand better how to be a disciple. Typically, you know, we want to find people who are usually a little bit maybe further along in the process than we are. Once again, not perfect, because everybody makes mistakes. Somebody who maybe processes information the same way you do, somebody that you go, I'm looking at their life, and it's far from perfect, but I see that they love Jesus with everything in them. That their desire is to be a disciple. And then we go to that person, we say, can you help me become a better disciple? What does that mean? Hold me accountable. Look at my life. Speak into my life, right? And then at the same time, if we're doing that well, others should be coming to us to say, help me become a better disciple. Who's discipling you and who are you discipling? Now here's the, here's the rub. If nobody's discipling you and you're not discipling anybody, then you're not on the mission of Jesus. That's where things get hard. So starting out, if we're going to build well, then we have to understand the mission and say, if this is given to us by Jesus, which it is, and the emphasis is making disciples, then I have to be being discipled and discipling others in order to say that I'm actually on the mission of Jesus. So what is a disciple? So we go to the mission. I mean, every church, I told you every church should have the same mission if it's Bible honoring and Jesus teaching, right? We, we know where to make disciples. That how every church decides to describe that in their mission statement looks different, right? So you could go to the Church at the Well website right now and you could look up what is the mission of Church at the Well and it's going to say Church at the Well exists to make disciples of Jesus who worship him and find their greatest joy in his glory. That's the, that's the way that we describe basically the Great Commission. And the reason we poured over this so long, why we described it this way, and I want to break this down for you. So the mission of Church at the Well is to first make disciples. So we have to know what a disciple is if we're going to understand if we're making them or not. Right? So we start there. So what is a disciple? Well, I think one of the best verses to help us understand what disciple, disciples are is Luke 9.23. It's Jesus, and he's saying, he, he literally looks at individuals and he says, look, if you want to follow me, there's something that has to happen, right? So a disciple is an individual who says, I'm going to become like you, Okay? So you can become a disciple of anything, right? So I don't know if you've read this, and I don't know if it's actually happening or not, but it was, it's been all over the news media that Satan Con is coming to Boston in April. Okay, So if you've ever been to Comic-Con, right? Satan Con's coming. You can actually go on their website and get tickets if you want. I hope you don't. Okay, So what is it saying? You can become a disciple of anything. Right? You can. You can become a disciple of the enemy. You can become a disciple of the New England Patriots. You can become, a, well, you pick. It can be anything, right? You're literally saying, my life is going to emulate somebody or something. When you commit to that, you're saying, I'm working in a discipleship process to become like this person, right? So there are things in my life where I go, wow, I said that I was a disciple of Jesus, but when I really process and look at my life, I wasn't a disciple of Jesus, I was a disciple of, a disciple of athletics. Right? And I, I mean, Jesus may have been thrown in there, but I was really a disciple of something else. So Jesus says, 
if you want to follow me, if you want to become a disciple, there's something you have to do. You have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and then follow me. Now what that tells me is that discipleship is going to be something that's not natural to us. Because nobody wants to deny themselves. In fact, we live in a culture that would say, deny yourself. Don't deny yourself, give yourself. Give yourself to everything that your heart desires to give itself to. And Jesus would say, that's dangerous because what you give your heart to is what you will become a disciple of. Now, let's process this from a practical way. So, denying yourself means that you're giving something up. You, you, are, you are sacrificing. You are saying, I'm, I'm going to do something or sacrifice something or eliminate something or add something that I wouldn't normally do. So there's time and energy and money and whatever it is to deny yourself to say I'm going to do that. So if I stick with my analogy as a soccer player, one of the things that I realized if I wanted to be a good soccer player, I needed to deny myself some things like ice cream and Taco Bell. And you're all like, ew. Guilty pleasure. And chocolate. And physical pain. And running. Right? All of these things that I, my body's going to hurt. I have to sacrifice time. I have to spend less time here and more time here. I'm denying things that I might want so that I can become better at what I'm saying I want to become a disciple of. Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying, here's the issue. Discipleship requires commitment and sacrifice and pain and suffering and difficulty and self-denial. And you go, well, that doesn't sound very sexy. It's not, but it's beautiful. Right? And if, if you're just trying to figure out, like, church world, like, like, we praise people in our culture who are willing to do this in other areas of life, right? Tom Brady's the goat. Why? Because he's an amazing quarterback. And we see what he, I mean, I don't know all the situation, but I can read news and I go, it appears from my perspective, I could be wrong, that he even chose football over his family. Right? Meaning he denied himself many things. He eats avocado ice cream. I don't understand that. Denies himself many things to become what he wants to be. And then when he became that, we were like, oh, goat. And look at the sacrifice he made. Right? That same concept, whatever it is that you've said, I've denied myself so that I can become good at this, become a disciple of this, it's the same concept that Jesus is saying needs to happen in order for us to become a better disciple in Jesus. Now what's crazy is everybody in this room and everybody on this planet is built a little bit differently. And what you need to deny might look different than what somebody else needs to deny. But the one commonality that we have is Jesus says, every single day, you have to literally make the choice by the grace of Jesus to deny yourself. And then there's another component to it. What? Take up your cross. I want this verse to say, take up what you love. Take up what you're most passionate about. Take up what really makes your heart beat fast. Like that, I feel like that's a better verse, so maybe we should just rewrite it. That's kind of how we live, right? It's like, that's going to cause suffering. That's going to cause pain. 
That's not pleasant. That's a cross. Jesus says, if you really want to follow me, you've got to be willing to deny yourself, take up the pain, and then go. Right? So if you picture kind of what is a disciple, it's an individual who's literally willing to go, I know who Jesus is, and I want to be like him. I'm being poured into by somebody. I'm pouring out to others, right? You just kind of become this conduit. It's coming in and going out and coming in and going out. And in that process, what I'm displaying to others, what my heart is doing is I'm saying there's some things in me that need to be removed because they're not conducive to to remaining there and being a good disciple of Jesus, So they have to be removed. So I I deny myself those things by his grace and through his power and say, okay, that's a cross. That's something I've got to bear. That's something I'm going to have to carry around with me. But I'm following Jesus. He's there. Like I'm able to follow him better because of what I'm willing to sacrifice. And what's our motivation in that? His cross. Right? Like one of the things that I think we forget when we're thinking about mission is that it feels like, okay, well, Jesus saved you and then he puts you to work. Yes, but the reality is he saved you to give you a new life. He created you so he knows what your life should look like better than you know. Right? And so sometimes I think we look at this and we're like, man, that just seems like an awful lot. No, it's a privilege and it's an honor to be able to have communion with our creator who knows why he created us and what we're supposed to do and then say help me do that it's like i don't know picture your work and you're given access to like the boss man or woman right the person that knows it all and you have full access to that person and you go, man, this is a privilege. Like, I actually can walk into this person's office and ask them the tough questions and they trust me enough to give me the answers and it's gonna help me succeed. And it, they correct me and they do these things. It's the same thing. In Christ, we have access to our creator. We can ask him, what am I here to do? What do you have for me? What is it that I need to deny? Because you're the one that made me. That that becomes like the greatest privilege of life. It's not a burden, it's actually releasing burdens. It turns everything upside down. And when that happens, what we realize is as a disciple of Jesus, denying ourselves and taking up our cross, even though it's hard, actually produces not just pain, but joy. Why? because we get the privilege of becoming more like Jesus. It's, it's just weird when you think about it, but it works. God figured it out, go figure, right? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now, as I process this verse over and over, my, one of the things that I process is, Kevin, one of the things that means is that you don't know everything. And sometimes what I think I know is right isn't going to be. Sometimes what I think that I'm doing or the motivation of my maybe that's not right. Maybe maybe there's something else here that I'm supposed to deny. It's 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 a realization when you desire to become a better disciple of Jesus to say, I mean, the true disciple really says, I don't really bring anything to the table. And when you enhance this to its end, what you really come to the realization is, my job in denying myself and taking up my cross and following Jesus is to become moldable. In fact, Scripture uses this, right? Analogy. It's, I'm giving Jesus access to everything. And that means that as I give him more and more access, 
and I open up the next door for him to see and to come in and to change, there's going to be more things that I have to deny and more crosses that I have to bear and more joy on the other end. You think about the way that Jesus handled his disciples. Like, I always, I always think, man, why did Peter stick around? Because it felt, feels like Jesus was always chastising Peter, right? It's like, I heard Peter did it again, right? I mean, and rightly so, but it just, I mean, I don't know. Do you hang around people? Do you want to hang around people all the time or become like somebody that's just constantly chastising you? And you would be like, no, why did Peter stick around? Peter stuck around because he knew who Jesus was and he knew Jesus' heart and he knew that he was his creator and he knew and even said, where else do we go? You have the words of life. I think, I think that at the, the, the true heart of discipleship is coming to the same conclusion regardless of what our life looks like or regardless of what we feel that ultimately we say the same thing. Where else do I go? You have the only truth. You have the words of life. So no matter what I'm feeling, no matter how hard I think this is, there's nowhere else to go. So help me keep denying and taking up my cross and following you. All right, so we die by church of the well. We say, okay, we're going to make disciples. We understand what a disciple is who worship him. Worship comes from the word worth. What do you hold as most worthy in your life? Whatever that is, that's what you attribute worship to. Once again, it could be anything. And we've talked about this in the past. What you worship shows what you have the most worth in. I mean, we can, wor- we can fall- find ourselves worshiping an idol that ultimately we would go, well, it doesn't feel like it's even bad. Like, oh, I worship my marriage, or I, I, I'm worshiping my kids, or I'm worshiping my job, or success, or whatever it is. I mean, culture can even encourage us to worship other things, right? And it may not inherently feel like a bad thing, but Ultimately, a disciple's job is to see Jesus as the greatest worth. So when we see Jesus as the greatest worth, we're putting our weight into him, and that formulates this attitude of holding him at highest value. That is what worship is. Worship isn't just coming in and singing. That's an act of worship. Worship is a condition of the heart. Worship is what do I hold most worthy in my life? What am I thinking about the most? What am I motivated by the most? So we say, okay, we want to become disciples who worship Jesus, meaning we're finding him as the most worthwhile thing in our life. And what's so cool about that is when that happens, it changes everything. So if you talk to my wife, and she would say, Kevin, you know, if you, if you went to Christy and you said, what is the greatest gift that Kevin could ever give you? Do you know what she would respond to? That his relationship with Jesus gets better and better and better. And you go, what? That doesn't even sound like a gift. It is. Because when I associate Jesus as the most worthy thing in my life, then what happens? I become a better disciple. I emulate Jesus better. That impacts my marriage positively. Of course, Christy wants me in our marriage to handle things the way Jesus would. It goes up with any relationship, anything. The more we worship Jesus, associate worth and value to him, the more we'll respond like Jesus in everything that we do, in every interaction that we have. Um, As an opposite example, think about something that you worship that's not Jesus. Okay? And don't, we all have it. Okay? And it could be a bunch of things, but something. Think about what it is. What are you willing to do for that thing? 
It dictates the way that we think, the way that we process. We will, it dictates how we will deny ourselves and what we will deny ourselves to do. Imagine if the church, the individuals in the church, held Jesus at that esteem. Everything would change. We're to make disciples who worship him and find our greatest joy in bringing him glory. That's, what a, that's the ultimate end of a true disciple. It's, it's realizing that the sacrifice, the denial, the struggle, the pain, the discipleship, the endless discipleship process, as he changes us till the moment we die, as we're helping disciple others, uh, it's, it's realizing that in the midst of that process, there's more joy to be gained than there is in anything else on the planet. Like Christ followers and scriptures, we should be the most joyful people on the planet. Why? Because we're supposed to be disciples of Jesus. We're... We, it doesn't mean that we're goofy all the time. It doesn't mean that we're, you know, nuts or walking around like, oh, I'm just happy. Oh, my this person died. I'm just giddy about it. Right? That's silly. It, it means that our joy is grounded in something that can never be removed. So even in the midst of sorrow, there's joy. How is that possible? Because it's Jesus. Let <laughs> me... I mean, I've told you the stories about mission, but I mean, think the worst thing that can happen is you die. And if you know Jesus, then that's the best thing that can happen to you. Right? So there, there's joy in everything that we do, knowing that the worst thing that could ever happen to you would produce the best thing that could ever happen to you. It, there's joy in that. There's joy in knowing that he actually commissions us to become more like him and it doesn't even have anything to do with us. He gives us the power to deny. He gives us the power to follow and he gives us the grace to become more like him. He just pours it into us. It's, it's unreal to think about. There's so much joy in knowing Christ. Like, I always believe like Christ followers should be impacting the world just because I believe that joyful people are contagious. It's, it's crazy. Like, this is when, and, and if, you've, if you've walked with Jesus very long, you've had this happen to you where somebody has come and said, I have no idea how you're handling that as well. How are you doing this? Like, if, if I was in that situation, I'd be falling apart right now. Right? And you go, it doesn't have anything to do with me. It has everything to do with Jesus. I'm not focused on this. I'm focused on him. That's why Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. He, he says that in the present tense and then it extends into the future. He says, lay your burdens on me. Like, we think, I think what we think that means is when something huge comes to life, I need to give it to Jesus. No, you have the privilege and the honor as a disciple of Jesus to lay every burden on him. Everyone. Do you know what that means? It means that we should be the least anxious. In fact, Scripture says that. Why? Because we can lay our burden on Jesus. We should be the most joyful. I, I, I always, like I picture in my head, like, I, I know I'm weird, but I picture in my head, like as, as Boston changes and more people know Jesus, and more disciples are made. Like, I want to have a conversation with the CEO one day where he literally goes to one of, like, his president and is like, dude, we had the best day. I hired three Christians today. Why would that be a good thing? Because they're the most joyful. They're the hardest working. They don't stress. There's not a ton of anxiety. It's weird. They're productive. Like, you know what we need? We need more Christians in our organization. Wouldn't that be cool? That's how it should be. I mean, if, if we're truly like, 
I mean, I understand that we have an enemy, and I understand that, but what businessman wouldn't go, hey, um, <laughs> this is a really bad joke, but I'm gonna do it anyway. <laughs> if you owned a winery, why would you not hire Jesus? <laughs> right? Process that for a second. Right? Like, you want the person that does the best job, right? You want the person that, that causes the least amount of resistance. You want the person that's creating the least amount of trouble. Those are the people that you want to invest in, that you want to do things for, right? That, that you, I mean, as a business owner, those are the people that we all look for, right? I don't go, oh, you know what I... You know what we should do, Matt? We want to look for everybody that's going to cause problems in our coffee house. Let's hire them. Right? I mean, we do that anyway because we're silly. I'm teasing. We would never do that. We look at people and we go, we want to hire people who are going to express the joy of Jesus who are going to help create an environment that people are going to want to be in, right? I mean, I, once again, I understand the nature of the enemy, and I understand that Jesus was hated. He was hated so much that the world thought he had to die. But what's fascinating, when you, when you really look at Jesus' life, even the people that killed him <laughs> said, we can't find anything against him. That's crazy. Even the people that hated him still wanted his help. There was something different. The mission of the church is to make disciples. We're going to talk about how Next week we'll talk about like what does that look like for us and how do we do that? But to kind of tease you a little bit, it's discipleship making is between you and the Lord. Right? Like the job of the church is to encourage you to become a better disciple and disciple others. The, what, I'm, what I've learned, just like teaching, the best teachers in the world They'll look at an individual and they'll say, you're not going to fit in this box. Like, I'm going to have to teach you a little bit differently, right? They customize something to an individual because people are different. I, I think there's benefit to saying, hey, yeah, you need to be in a small group. You need to be. We've got to be around people. You need to be coming and worshiping in worship gathering. Like, that's important, you need to be in the word. You need to be praying. You need to be in Bible studies. You need to take classes. You need to improve your mind. You need to understand what this says. But most importantly, most importantly, you need to deny yourself. It's, what a shame it would be if, like what I witnessed, a bunch of people who really knew the word but there was no life change. Like when I tell my story, one of the things that I, I realized is that I understood who Jesus was and I could tell you the stories and I could give you, I could even quote scripture, I could even present the gospel, but I realized I was never discipled as a kid. What does that mean? It was never shown to me. It was never, okay, Kevin, this is how Jesus applies to this specific circumstance in your life. And I remember asking questions like that, like how do I get to that point? And what I realized is there was, just, there was nobody pouring into me specifically. It was always just, well, you need to go to Africa and you need to take more classes. What do I want you to get out of this today? A couple of things. One, I don't know how you have 
focused your attention on the Great Commission. But if you're living under the guilt of, I'm not a disciple because I'm not, I'm not on the go, meaning, well, I'm not the person in Africa, or whatever it is, then you've got to get over that guilt. Now, if the Holy Spirit's telling you to go, you better go. But you've got to get over that guilt. Because there's too much at stake around you. The, the Lord has placed you here for a very specific reason. And that reason is for you to be discipled and to disciple. That's why you're here. And there's people around you, there's people in this room who need your help. You can help them and display to them what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. We, so I come back to, who are you discipling? Who's discipling you? We, the most important component of the, of the mission is this discipleship process. That's what we're here to do. Okay, so get past that guilt. Um, I would like you to take away asking yourself that question. And think about the last year. So 2022, who discipled you? Twenty twenty two, who did you disciple? Now if if I went to them and said, you said, okay, I discipled this person, I went to them and said, did they disciple you? And they say no. Like like, did you actually disciple them? And if you say, well, I discipled 100 people, I'm going to go, you can't be better than Jesus. Right? You can't be. There's no way. I mean, most of you don't do it full time either. <laughs> so who are you discipling? Who discipled you? Next, what do you need to deny? Like right now, as you're sitting here. Part of this process and understanding the mission of the church is to constantly be saying, what do I need to be doing to become a better disciple? It could be this. I'm worshiping something I'm not supposed to worship. I need to shift that to Jesus. It could be, my joy is terrible. I display no joy whatsoever. So do I really believe who Jesus is? What is it that you need to deny? What needs to change? What crosses do you need to bear, pick up, and follow Jesus? What is that for you? And then lastly, how can you help others do that? Um, as we disciple others, we should ask those questions. The band's going to come up. We're going to sing one more song. I want to give you guys some time to process a little bit. Um, I always, it feels like there's always this tension in these moments where it's, I know that the Lord is convicting something here that needs to change, but I also experience the joy of understanding what I get to do. And I think it's in those moments where life change really happens. Meaning, we handle those moments here and we say, Lord, make me a better disciple and a better discipler. But at the same time, we say, Lord, I can't believe that you would even call me to be a disciple and that I get the privilege of discipling others in you. And we gotta find that balance there. Um, don't forget to celebrate it. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, we, uh, we get distracted. I think, for me, I, I tend to put things that are less important ahead of things that are most. Lord, I, I tend to put my own feelings, emotions, circumstances, um, life, occurrences, sin, whatever it is, above you, and I find myself thinking about that more than you. Lord, I, I pray that you would give us the grace that we need to, to really understand what it means to be on mission. 
to both grasp the privilege and responsibilities at the same time. And, and Lord, I ask that, that you would help us discern our heart. Lord, help us be disciplers. Help us be disciples. Lord, I don't know what's going on in this room, but I ask that whatever needs to change would. Lord, don't let us get wrapped up in, in the minutia of life and forget the most important thing. So Lord, I pray that this church, the other Bible-believing, gospel-teaching churches in the greater Boston area would focus its attention on discipleship. And Lord, that you would be pleased with it. Fill us with joy. Help us not to be addicted to busy. Um, Lord, work in our hearts. We thank you for that privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.